Thank you, Paula, for that beautiful song and for the uh, wonderful story of, of, of God's blessing and calling in your life and gifting in your life. And I'm so glad that you took after your mama. Um, <laughs> I can say that because he's not up here right now. But <laughs> uh, and it's okay if y'all tell him I said it. I don't mind. He picks on me every week. So, um, All right. Well, this morning we're going to be in Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, as we continue in our study of the Apostles' Creed. Uh, and so far we've been working through uh, each clause of the Apostles' Creed, we've seen that God is Father and that He is Almighty and that He is the Creator. And we've moved into a section dealing with who Jesus is. And we've seen that He is the Messiah. He is the only begotten Son of God and that He is our Lord. And so now we move in the story of or, or in the confession of who Jesus is from His character to his works. And, and you'll notice that there's this pattern in the Apostles' Creed of both talking about the character and nature of God and then the works of God. And so we move from talking about uh, Jesus and his character to now the work that he has done. And to begin with, we consider the, the clause conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And so as we do, uh, let's, as, we, as we have in the past several weeks, we're going to confess together our faith in Christ by reciting the Apostles' Creed. If you have your bulletin, you'll notice that it is printed on the inside centerfold of the bulletin. And so uh, we'll recite that together as we begin our time in study today. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into the grave. On the third day, He rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time of study today. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the revelation of Jesus Christ. We thank you for the work of your spirit that calls us to yourself and gives us understanding. And Lord, as we spend time in your word today, I pray that you would open our hearts and minds to receive the truth of it, that we would see the benefit of this story of the birth of Christ and how it uh, was necessary for our salvation. Pray that you would bless us now in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we begin in the, in the works of Jesus with the statement conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And for whatever reason, I really haven't ever thought long and hard about it, but for whatever reason, belief in the virgin birth of Jesus proves to be a bridge too far for many liberal Christians and many who are skeptical of Christianity. I served in another church where one of the prominent members insisted that this very clause in the Apostles' Creed should not be necessary 
to believe. Now, thankfully, that person believed that Jesus was born of a virgin. He accepted that himself, but he had many friends who denied it and yet still tried to claim to be Christians. Apparently, there are many who claim to be Christian and yet find a belief in the supernatural conception and birth of Jesus to be a bit too much, to be a too, too much of a challenge to faith for them to accept. Still others deny Christianity altogether, and they would give this story of Jesus being born of a virgin as a, as a major reason for that, as a reason for rejecting Christianity as outlandish and fantastic. Every year on the History Channel around this time, there's always a Christmas special in which they do everything they can to deny the deity of Christ and deny, especially to deny his supernatural birth by the Virgin Mary. And uh, one of those specials that I watched had a, a so-called scholar on it who explained that the only gospel that records the virgin birth is Luke. And this scholar went on to explain, well, you know, Luke was a Greek. And the Greeks already had these virgin birth myths in their belief system. So it's obvious, or it was obvious to this scholar, that Luke just simply imported his belief from his Greek background into the story of Jesus. Now, there's only one problem, really there's more than one problem, but there is one main problem with that whole idea of the scholar's theory. Luke is not the only gospel that records the virgin birth. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, the angel tells Joseph, that which is conceived of Mary is from the Holy Spirit. And then Matthew goes on, and Matthew, by the way, is a Jew. Matthew goes on to quote Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, which says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. So this scholar, this supposed scholar, had obviously not done his homework. As Jerry Clower likes to say, or like to say, uh, some people are educated beyond their intelligence. I use that all the time. I love that phrase. Some people are educated beyond their intelligence. And it's apparent that this scholar was such a person. So as the Apostle Creed, uh, Apostles' Creed confirms or affirms, Belief in the virgin birth is an essential Christian doctrine. To deny it is to walk outside the bounds of Christianity. So this morning, I want to consider three problems with the rejection of the virgin birth and three reasons why this doctrine is important to our salvation. First, to reject the virgin birth is to deny the truthfulness of Scripture. As I've already stated, two of the four Gospels explicitly record the virgin birth of Jesus Christ. And beyond that, the prophecies of Isaiah point to it as well. The virgin birth is clearly an important part of the story of Jesus. So to deny it is to deny the Word of God. Now I want you to understand very important point that I want you to get across today, I want to get across today, and that is that there are certain things in Scripture that I, as a pastor, will be happy to acknowledge are hard to understand. There are certain things in Scripture that are mysteries. In fact, Paul even says that there are certain things about Jesus 
that are mysteries to us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he says that right now we see through a glass dimly. We don't understand everything about God and what he has revealed in Scripture to be clear and obvious in this age that we live in. There are things that we may not understand until the other side of glory. Yet faith in the Word of God as the Word of God is an essential part of saving faith. To deny the Word of God is to deny God Himself. It is to deny the essence of what it is to be a Christian. And it is to be something other than Christian to say that I see it clearly revealed in God's Word that God has said this thing about Himself, but I don't think that can happen, so I deny it. That is to walk outside the bounds of Christianity. Second, to reject the virgin birth is to deny the power of God. So not only are you denying the Word of God, but you're denying the power of God. And I think this is rather weird that people would draw the line at the virgin birth and say, this, this is too much. This is outside of the natural order of things. This is outside of what I can accept or believe. Because after all, the virgin birth is downright impossible. But as we've already studied, we believe in God the Father, what? Almighty. God is almighty. God is not bound by the natural order of things. And so if you're going to deny one miracle you're going to end up denying all miracles. Because if God is almighty, then God can do whatever He pleases to do. He has the power to do all things. And so to call into question this miracle is to call into question all the miraculous works of God. His creation of this universe from nothing. His judgment of the world in a flood. His plagues on Egypt. The parting of the Red Sea and the heavenly fire that consumed Elijah's sacrifice, among other things. Most importantly, to deny the virgin birth is to deny the resurrection of Jesus, which calls into question the whole of our salvation. If God is not able to miraculously form Jesus within the womb of Mary, then He is not able to raise Jesus from the dead. The virgin birth... And the resurrection are a package deal. To deny one is to deny them both. Third, to reject the virgin birth is to deny the two natures of Jesus as the Son of God and the Son of Man. The only alternative to the virgin birth of Jesus is to say that Jesus was just a really good man that God chose. Some would say that Joseph and Mary had an illicit relationship and they used the virgin birth story to cover it up. Still others would suggest something much more sinister, and that is that Mary had an affair with a Roman soldier. Now, where they get that, I have no idea, but that's apparently a popular belief. In either case, Jesus would be merely human. And to be merely human would deny the prophecies of Isaiah that the Messiah would be mighty God, everlasting Father. To be merely human would, den would deny the testimony of John, that the eternal Word became flesh and dwelt among us. To be merely human 
would deny the witness of Mark that the Son of God has authority to forgive sins. So now that we understand what it is to reject the virgin birth, let's consider three reasons the virgin birth is essential to our salvation. First, the virgin birth is the beginning of a new creation. Now there is a beautiful poetry behind the scenes of the story of Jesus' birth. Think about the story of the fall of Adam and Eve. How did sin enter this world? Through whom did sin enter this world? It entered this world through the first woman, Eve. Now, how does new life enter this world? New life enters this world through the obedience of a virgin, Mary. As the ancient church father Irenaeus said, for just as Eve was led astray by the word of an angel so that she fled from God when she had transgressed his word, so did Mary, by an angel, receive the glad tidings that she should sustain God, being obedient to his word. You see, the virgin birth is God's answer to the fall. In it, he begins something new through the womb of Mary. As 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Second, the virgin birth affirms the divinity or the divine nature of Christ. The creed states that Jesus was conceived of the Holy Ghost, which points to the fact that Jesus is the perfect union of God and man. So to see that from Scripture, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and let's read that together. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed the heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature, and He upholds the universe by the word of His power. After making purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name He has inherited is more excellent than theirs. So notice two important facts in this passage from Hebrews about the divine nature of Jesus. First of all, in verses 1 through 3, we see that Jesus, as the Son of God, perfectly reveals who God is. Now, the writer of Hebrews says that God has revealed himself in various ways and at various, various times through his prophets. So if you think about the Old Testament... The Old Testament is made up of all sorts of different characters, right? It's made up of men and women. It's made up of poor folk and rich folk. It's made up of intelligent and and well-educated people. And it's made up of simple people who just were led by the Spirit of God to prophesy in one way or another. God communicates His will through history and through His work 
in the, the flood and his work in, in the real history of Israel. He's, he communicates his will in that way, but then he also communicates his will in poetry and in, and, and in uh, direct uh, communication through a prophet. So the point of Hebrews, the point of the writer is that God has revealed his, his will himself through numerous ways. And we can read the Old Testament and we can understand well who God is. But he goes on to say, but in these last days, he has revealed himself through his son. So instead of revealing himself through uh, poetry, instead of revealing himself through history, instead of revealing himself through the communication of a prophet, God came himself in the person of Jesus Christ. God revealed himself perfectly through the nature and, uh, and person of Jesus Christ. God came directly and personally and broke into this world to show us exactly who he is in this person who was God with us. In Jesus, the disciples saw the very radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Uh, Peter, James, and John stood on a mountain with Jesus and in a moment he was transfigured before them so that they saw his divine nature in person and they witnessed exactly the glory of God just like Moses did on Mount Sinai. Also, in the second half of verse 3, we see that Jesus made purification for sin. Jesus, as the Son of God, can forgive sins. In Mark chapter 2, I love this story. The story, I, go, I refer to it a great deal because it's so significant on so many levels. But you remember the story of the paralytic, right? Who had these friends who broke the roof of the house and lowered the paralytic down in front of Jesus so that he could be healed. And uh, Jesus, when the man is lowered down in front of him, he doesn't say immediately... Get up and walk. What does he say? Do y'all remember? He says, your sins are forgiven. And the scribes who are around Jesus, they say, he can't say that. And they're thinking in their mind, he can't say that because that's blasphemy. Only God can forgive sins. Now, interestingly enough, the scribes aren't wrong. They're exactly right. Only God can forgive sins. But Jesus, knowing their hearts, it says, looks at them and says, the Son of God has authority to forgive sins on earth. You see, Jesus, because he is fully God, is able to forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. If our sins are to, uh, to be forgiven, God must do it. If a sacrifice is to be offered for our sins, God must offer it. And so Jesus must be fully God. He must be conceived of the Holy Ghost or our sins are not forgiven. And finally, the virgin birth affirms the humanity of Jesus Christ. Yes, Jesus is fully God, but he is also fully man. To see why this matters, flip over with me to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16. 
Hebrews 4, verse 14, it says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who is in every way, who was in every way, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the virgin birth matters because it means that Jesus is fully God, but it also matters because it shows us that Jesus is fully man. And the writer of Hebrews says that Jesus is our great high priest. And he has ascended into heaven where he is ever present at the altar of God, interceding for us. But then the writer makes this important point in verse 15. He explains why Jesus is the priest that we need. He says that Jesus understands our weaknesses because he has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sins. Now, there are two ways that I think that the writer of Hebrews means this. Number one, Jesus has faced the hardships of humanity. Jesus knew what it is or what it was to suffer as a man. He suffered the cold of a stable. He cried for the comfort of his mother. He he felt the strain of hard labor with his father. He hungered as he traveled the dusty roads of Galilee. He wept over the death of his friend. He mourned the hard-heartedness of his people. He winced at the thorns in his brow. He screamed at the pain of the nails. He labored to breathe as he hung on the cross. He thirsted for water as his life drained from him. Jesus knew the burdens of this world, and yet he did not sin. So many times when people sin, the excuse they often give is that they just have a hard life. I I can't deal with the stress of this life and so I act out in anger. Or I can't deal with the strain of my work and so I I, I rob or I I commit theft. I can't deal with the, the challenges of my marriage so I reach out and I do things that I shouldn't do. And... In all of those ways, we use the excuse of the burdens of this world as a reason to sin. And yet Jesus lived in the burden of this life and he did not sin. Not only did he not did he know the sufferings of this world, but he knew its temptations, too. So after Jesus's baptism, he goes into the wilderness and he spends 40 days fasting in the wilderness And then Satan comes along to tempt Jesus. And in those three temptations that Jesus faced in the wilderness, we find a parallel to the temptations that Eve faced in the garden when she looked at the fruit and she was tempted by Satan. For one, just as Satan distorted the word of God to Eve in the garden when he said, has God really said that on the day that you eat of it, you will die? So too, Satan distorted the word of God before Christ and tried to tempt him to sin against God by twisting the word of God. 
As Eve saw that the fruit was good for food, so Satan tempted Jesus with his own hunger. If you are the Son of God, then turn these stones into bread and eat. As Eve delighted in the beauty of the fruit and in something less than God, so Satan tempted Jesus with the delight of power and offering Him the kingdoms of this world over the glory of God. And as Eve thought that the fruit could make her wise without God. So Satan called Jesus, tried to tempt Jesus to question the wisdom of God's plan. And yet, where Adam and Eve failed, Jesus was faithful. He was obedient to God in all things and offered that obedience for all of mankind. And so, Jesus is able to save us because He is both fully God and fully man. He can forgive our sins because He is the offended party. He is God Himself. Now just think about that. Whenever somebody, um, you know, if I did something wrong to Bill, and I said I, I offended him in some way, and I came to Bill and asked for forgiveness, if Bruce spoke up and said, Bill forgives you, then that wouldn't make any sense, would it? It's the offended party that has to offer the forgiveness. And so, if Jesus is simply a man, if He isn't fully God, then He can't offer forgiveness for our sins. But as the one offended, as God Himself, He is able to forgive sins. And not just that, though, but He is also able to offer Himself as an obedient sacrifice because He represents the offender, too. He represents mankind because He is fully human. And this is why Peter would say in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Understand, there is no other salvation outside of Jesus Christ because only Jesus can forgive sins. As the Son of God, only Jesus can forgive sins. And as the Son of Man, He is the only right sacrifice for sins. You might think, hey, I can appease God by doing the right things. And certainly God wants you to do the right things, but that, those good deeds cannot cover your sins. The money you drop in the offering plate is no right sacrifice for your sins. The, uh, any, anything that you might do, whether you might offer a sacrifice of a goat or a sheep or your own children, it is not enough to cover your sins. And yet Jesus Christ is the only right sacrifice for sins. And He has died for your sins today, friend. And it is only through Him that you can have forgiveness. So won't you come to faith in Jesus Christ today? Brothers and sisters, we are reconciled to God by our Lord Jesus Christ who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary. And so may we affirm that and may we defend it because it is essential to our salvation. And may we live in faithfulness because of it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the virgin birth of Christ, for the obedience of Mary, for the miracle of his conception and birth, for his nature, both as fully God and fully man. 
and the fact that He is able to forgive sins because He represents God to us and He is able to uh, offer forgiveness, offer sacrifice for sins because He represents us to God. And so, Lord, I pray that we would trust in Christ today and that we would leave this place ready to serve Him. I pray all these things in Christ's name.